You're listening to Mischief Media. Hey, Nonplus listeners. If you're a craft beer fan, have we got the app for you. Tavor, it's the app for fans of craft brews and trying new and exciting labels. It's so cool. Snag the app from your iOS or Android app store, browse the current list of hard-to-find 100% independent beers, and add them to your personalized crate, or enroll in the subscription, and Tavor will handpick the highest-rated beers that suit your taste. There's no minimums or commitments, and if you're selecting the beers for yourself, you pay as you choose, and then request delivery whenever you're ready. Again, there's no monthly limit or minimum that you need to hit, and a flat rate shipping doesn't change with the size of your crate. As many beers as you want, same price to ship. Tavor posts a 100% independent community, over 650 featured breweries from 47 states, and over 7,000 beers tasted. That's nuts. Yeah, you can download Tavor today and try it for yourself. Just use the code NONPLUS at checkout for $10 off your first order of $25 or more. Again, download Tavor, that's T-A-V-O-U-R, in your app store and use the code NONPLUS for $10 off your first order of $25 or more. I'll drink to that. And one for Mahler. Wait, with the scene where the Winks uh, jumping up the stairs yeah. in this. And he, he looks, yeah, those little back, back and forth can, cantilevered hops. And, and, you know, podcasts aren't a visual medium, so y'all can't, Josh was just rocking y'all can't back see and forth, me air humping hitting. the horse outside of the grocery store. <laughs> oh. oh, no. <laughs> episode of non plus a gay romp through the disney plus vault that over there is my husband clancy oh and over there is my husband josh and this is non plus a mischief media podcast we've got one hot off the presses this yes. week well not the presses the no. theaters the reels yeah whatever it, it's, it's the, new we're it's the first time we've really done something brand spanking new yeah it's the first time we spent like actual money on something other like than that. our subscription yeah yeah and so i'm excited to get to it but first up we have to remind you because the end or the beginning is nigh. Loki approaches. Head to yes. mischiefmerch.com to appropriately prepare for the premiere of Loki. They've got a uh, TVA stainless steel water bottle. You can get a vote Loki face mask. Uh, they even have a TVA variant hoodie. Yeah. So on the back, it says variant, just like Loki's does because he's out of time. He's a yeah. variant. All of that and more. There's also WandaVision stuff, other Marvel stuff, mm -hmm. of course, nonplus merch. And if you use code nonplus 10, that's nonplus one zero when purchasing, you get 10% off in MCU stuff or our stuff. Yeah. Mischiefmerch.com. Do it. Do it. All right, where are we at with news this week, Clancy? Black Panther is going to have a spinoff series centered on Okoye coming to Disney+. Plus. Yes, we've got this from Nerdist. In addition to returning for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Denai Gurira is also getting her own Okoye spinoff series on Disney+. Plus. It's like an origin series. Um, and that's pretty much all we know about it. That's super, super cool, though. I am very, yes. very excited for that. Especially because we know Wakanda Forever is going to expand the world a little bit more. And now we're going to get some Okoye backstory. That's just fucking rad. Yeah, that is super, super cool. Uh, we also have Oscar Isaac as confirmed, the confirmed star of Marvel's Moon Knight. Yes, they uh, announced this via a tweet. 
of Oscar Isaac in front of like a wall of different drawings Ooh, and covers oh, from that. Moon Knight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they also announced that Ethan Hawke is apparently going to be in the series. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. But again, it's one of those that's like production is basically rolling. These things are confirmed now and they can start doing press, which means they're probably still filming, which means we won't hear much about this for a while. I don't think. Yeah, this will probably go away for a while and then and then, and then once back. we get closer probably yeah like 2022 maybe early 2023 as yeah. things are expanding into the the different yeah because moon knight wasn't on that big release no. schedule yeah. that's what yeah that's what i'm thinking about and I, the, I feel like the news keeps accidentally becoming marvel news but it's just we're getting so much content that is specific to the platform and the platform is our purview yeah so anyway Finally, it's the start of a new month. It is. So let's go over some top level details. Well, of course, as always, we'll link this in the show notes so you can see a full list of things coming out this month. But here's some yep. of the gems and, and juicy tidbits this week. We've got Raya and the Last Dragon that returns to the platform uh, and it's no longer Premier Access. Yeah, so, so it's don't like have on to pay for the it. platform. Yes. yes. Um, also, Ice Age Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Neat. Uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, which I don't think I watched when I did my watch through. I thought you did. It's the one with, with Weird Deadpool. And like the young Emma Frost, she turns to diamond no, at one you're point. you're exactly right. Yes. No, I did watch that. And Maybe on FX? Yes, I that's, that's why. And was. I think it's because it had commercials and or I was Hulu. just like, I checked out. Anyways. Speaking of, Marvel Legends Loki and the Tesseract is also coming out today. These are today yes. um, as you're listening to this. So like this is, again, the Marvel Legends um, or Marvel Studios Legends, whatever it's called, series. Yeah. Is the one that gives you primers on the new stuff coming. So we got the ones about Wanda WandaVision. and vision before yep. WandaVision. We got Bucky and Falcon and even one for Sharon Carter and yeah. Baron Zemo before mm-hmm. Falcon and winter soldier. And so now we're getting Loki's history with the Tesseract to sort of like catch people up. So the next week, of course, we've got the premiere of Loki on yes. Wednesday and then season two of Zenimation on next Friday. Yeah, that's super cool. And the first season was really neat. So yeah, yeah I'm excited. Uh, June 18th, we've got Luca. Yes, that's the new Disney Pixar film about the Italian merpeople cartoon that's totally not gay, but kind of is. Yeah. Yeah. mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. There's also a few TV shows running new episodes throughout the month, including Star Wars, The Bad Batch, and even Gordon Ramsay's Uncharted. There's a Texas episode coming up that I think we have to watch. Oh, Um, But as I said, full list in the show notes, as well as links to the other articles. Yeah, and as always, all of our research comes uh, from Wikipedia, IMDb, or Rotten Tomatoes, so you can check those out in the show notes uh, if we link to any of those. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you ready to get into this? Let's do it. All right. What movie are we doing this week, Josh? This week, we are doing 2021's Cruella. We saw it in theaters. We bought it on Premiere Access. Yes. Uh, We enjoyed this one. As I said, it was released May 28th, 2021. It's written by Dana Fox and Tony McNamara. It was directed by Craig Gillespie, who also directed I, Tonya. Yes. Um, which will come back for us here in just a second. Just a second. We, of course, have wide-eyed, uh, forever young Emma Stone as Estella slash Cruella. We've got Emma Thompson as the Baroness. Yes. Joel Fry plays henchman slash bestie Jasper. He was his star on Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh, we've got Paul Walter Hauser as Horace. Who? He played Sean Eckert in I, Tanya. Yes. So. so Craig Gillespie brought him back for this. Yeah. It's just and super he's neat. phenomenal in both films. For sure. John McRae plays Artie and he was the original Jamie in everyone's talking about Jamie in the West End in London. That's that oh. musical about the little boy who want little boy, the, the teenager who wants to become the drag queen and they're doing a movie of it. 
He I was didn't the, realize there was oh, a movie. Yeah, well, okay. it's coming out, but they've also like recorded. Like, I think you can get on BBC Player him doing it in West. Anyway, um, I Rad. I didn't realize that until after seeing the movie, and I was like, that's why he's familiar. Yeah, because I've listened to that soundtrack <laughs> a lot. Um, and that's actually him singing when they do the thing in the park. Oh, cool. Um, anyway, Emily Beecham plays Catherine. Yeah, we've got Mark Strong who plays John the Valet. He's our versatile steel-eyed daddy from Kingsman, Shazam, and Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, he's delightful. Um, we've also got Kevin Novak as Roger, who is Nandor in What We Do in the Shadows, yes! and I am so excited that he's here. And also, this is a versatile fucking actor because I didn't realize it. We watched this movie <laughs> twice, and it wasn't until we were putting the notes together we were like, "Oh shit, that's Nandor! <laughs> it's Nandor! It's something." I think it's the haircut just frames his face so differently. Yes, it does. And when, when have we ever seen Nandor in a suit? You know what I mean? I'm, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, we've got Kirby Hal Baptiste as Anita Darling, and then finally Jamie Demetrio as Gerald, the boss from the department store. Yep. Um. Alrighty, shall we dive in? Let's dive in. Estella Miller is a creative child with a talent for fashion, but has a cruel streak, leading her mother, Catherine, to nickname her Cruella. Due to Estella's rebellious nature, Catherine pulls her daughter from school and plans to move to London. On the way there, she stops at a party hosted by the wealthy Baroness von Hellman to ask her for financial assistance. Estella witnesses her mother being pushed off a cliff to her death by the Baroness's ferocious Dalmatians, for which she blames herself since they were chasing her. Orphaned, Estella makes her way to the London and befriends two street urchins named Jasper and Horace. To go unnoticed, she dyes her hair uh, from black and white to red. I absolutely loved the mother-daughter relationship that they had I at the beginning too. of it's this movie. So cute. Yeah, it was. It was just. It felt really genuine. Like it reminded me of Matilda a little bit. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. So. Effectively, uh, we get Emma Stone narrating her youth. You know, it's yeah. it, it very much has that fractured fairy tale. Like you think you know the story, but this is the real story kind of feel to it. Oh yeah, in the same way that like Maleficent does before it. And yeah, you know, Cruella's effectively abandoned and passed off to someone to care for. And when she goes to school, is when she starts like acting out. She turns her little um prep school jacket inside out, and she's scribbled all in it, and like made a really cute punk design quirky and uh you know a personality she um had a different outfit every time like they would it, like there was this portion where she was getting sent to the headmaster's uh office yeah and the bit with the copy book was just uh overwrought like yes we get it spots dalmatians yes 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 Cruella, oh. oh did that not that did not click every for time me. he hit it i was just Bless. like yes okay dalmatians yes black spots on white pit yes okay I felt like I was being beat over the head with it. Okay. Well, Every time I mean, he that smashed was for me, that. Because it, I guess it to was. me it was subtle. It was. <laughs> you could say I pretty much ruled my way through all of primary school. Almost. Well, I think it's clear what happens now. Estella, you are expelled. I'm withdrawing her from your school. I'm expelling her. It's too late because I withdrew her first, so that can't be on a record. I'd said expelled. And I, I, I'd already said it. Hadn't. Didn't. It's funny that she's... Uh, the outward expression of her individualism, the visual expression of it, isn't what's getting her attention from the headmaster. It's, uh, I mean, her beating the shit out of bullies. 
Yeah. Which, you know, cause she protects Anita Darling from getting hit with the dot right in the face with the dodgeball. Yeah. Um, and when, you know, you kind of think about that, this is the mid sixties, like presumably that little ginger kid is a racist, classist, misogynist shithead. Yeah. And that's why Cruella threw the ball back at his balls. <laughs> yeah. And that was the last straw for, for Mr. Um, plot point, smashy, smashy blot book headmaster. Yeah. Um, because that's what ultimately got her removed from school. We get this really cute car ride with her and the mother. They're basically going to London because they can't stay in the small town. And, and it was just a really cool, like well, no, she pulled her out of school. Well, yeah, but it's a really cool moment that like she kind of telling Estella that like, you know, you couldn't have been a fashion designer in the small, in the small town. Any, anyways, let's, you know, she really wanted the best for Estella. London, here we come. We don't really have a choice. You have no school. There's nothing to celebrate. Well, can't be a fashion designer in a small town anyway. This relationship, it, it, the, the small amount of time that we get it is really good. Yeah. And the whole reason that she's going to ask the Baroness for money and where we sort of get the inciting incident of all of this is because she wants to be able to afford a good life for Estella and, um, you know, breaking the rules. Estella gets out of the car and sees that there's this Marie Antoinette themed fashion show happening in the estate. We see John, her footman or whatever, again, sort of grab her and recognize her. And, you know, she's, bouncing around this fashion show and oh no and the dogs get sicked after her and that's when as i mentioned in the summary her mother gets pushed over by these dogs and this is where this is what triggers a lot of people on twitter who i feel like didn't see the movie and just read about the plot We're like so she wants to kill dogs because they killed her mother no like there's no like yes technically this is a prequel to the cartoon but obviously again it's a scant it's a fractured fairy tale version it's a different perspective they're retelling yeah. the story And none of that as a lifetime dog lover and owner struck me as askance. And I feel like people just didn't want to give the film a chance. Even before there were reviews, I remember you talking about, oh, so we're going to have to like a dog killer. That was my initial, that was personally my initial impression. And that's my point is the people who were bitching about the plot point clearly haven't seen seen it yet. I mean, Disney really likes to do this, these sort of Bambi moments where they kill the parents in the first few movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... It's very fairy tale when you think about it. Yeah. Cinderella, same thing. Snow White, same thing. That also fueled her sort of drive. Yeah, it's the inciting incident. It's what what makes like she had to learn at a very young age that the world is cruel. She watched her mother get killed and she blames herself for it. That's a lot for a 10-year-old to carry. Yeah. She makes it to the fountain that they had planned to go to and sort of like essentially cries herself to sleep right there in Regent's park. And then two little grifter kids show up. One of whom is fishing uh, coins out of the fountain that people have tossed in to make wishes. And the other one we watch smoothly lift a wallet out of a man's pocket. Yeah. It's very uh, Oliver twist. It's very Dickensian. Yeah. When we make the turn to 10 years later, it just is such a nice, smooth transition between those, those kids and then their adult counterparts, or I mean, 10 years older than what that was. Right. Yeah. Well, and and in this moment is when I, I was really first struck, especially on the second viewing about how much 
how in line the soundtrack is with the plot. Like it's not just jazzy songs that fit the moment in this moment while, you know, the, the cops show up and the kids are running yeah. from the police and the song that's playing is watch the dog. And she keeps <laughs> watching her dog to follow him mm-hmm. because he's following the other two kids. Oi! Come on, but they were a better option than being in jail. Stop! Uh, police! Watch the dog. I just thought, wow, they put so much like care and thought and detail into even the song selection and that continues throughout the movie. Oh yeah. The music in um, this is delightful. You could easily dismiss it as like, Oh, they just wanted to load it with bops. But even as you watch it, like it's all thematically well-placed, it's all like, it's all music of the time. Yeah, it, it really, really is. I also love wink the little, their, their the little, little one-eyed dog. chihuahua. Oh my God. So adorable. He's such a precious baby angel. So yeah, she follows them to the hideout. They sort of adopt them into their, you know, um, consent yourself. One of it's very, again, it's very I mean, Oliver Twist. Yes, very yes, Oliver. yes. And they form their little like grifty crew and she has to dye her hair so that she's not easily noticeable. And it kind of reinforces the idea that Estella is a mask that she wears yeah. because, you know, she's changing her hair color and she's changing her mannerisms and she's laying low. In order to, at least while, you know, during the grifty montage, right? She talks about, you know, I designed all our clothes and whatever. And like, she is becoming a pro at being different people for personal gain. I don't know. I think that there's just something very philosophical in that and about the degree to which she embraces who she ends up considering her true self. Yeah. But we'll get there. Well, that's all I have for this first section. Did you have anything else? The only other thing I had was that Disney has gotten really good at interchanging CG dogs with their canine actors. Oh my God. Like, cause some, like when they, when they're sitting and like mugging a little bit yeah. um, and you know, kind of like doing tricks, it's clear that it's a real dog, but then the dog will have a, facial reaction to something that's happened and i'm like that's the fake one i found the fake one everyone yeah no it's 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 sort of unsettling i feel like they they like they made jungle book and they're like oh shit we can just make fake animals now do whatever we want my point is is that i never noticed the switch but i do notice when suddenly oh yeah that's a cg canine Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah wild all right Ten years later, Estella is making ends meet alongside Jasper and Horace as thieves while honing her fashion skills by designing their disguises. For her birthday, Jasper and Horace get her a job as a cleaner at the Liberty Department store. A drunken Estella remakes one of the window displays and lands a coveted job with the Baroness, who is a renowned but authoritarian haute couture designer. (laughs) Estella gains the Baroness's confidence but eventually notices her boss, wearing a necklace that once belonged to her mother, Catherine. After the Baroness claims an employee had previously stolen it, Estella asks Jasper and Horace to retrieve the necklace. The hair dye transition. Yeah. Like, she's her, looking into a her mirror. Her firmly becoming Estella. Yeah, and, and the transition between her young self to her adult self. Felt like a Sia video for a second. A little bit, because yeah. Because it's like the little girl into the woman. Yeah. Don't worry, we're just getting started. There's lots more bad things coming, I promise.
I knew it, ten years had passed. You could even say we had made a home for ourselves. Horace, heads up. But I mean, that's kind of like, that, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's such a good way to convey that. And for it just to happen so quickly. And, and, and again, the pacing in this actually was pretty good. Even We've watched this twice. We yes. saw it in theaters once. We saw it uh, at home. And I was concerned at the length initially, but I don't feel like, objectively, is it too long? Yes. Two hours and 14 minutes is too long to tell the story. For sure. Comma, but it's paced well enough that I, I'd never looked at my phone to check the time, which no. I will sometimes do in a longer movie. If only to figure out, you know, when the next act break is going to happen so I can go pee. Well, I think they had they had certain goals or objectives that kept pushing the goal forward. And gave that. They you... kept escalating the stakes. Yes. Yes. That's Believably exactly what... escalating yeah. the stakes and keeping you on Cruella's side. They mm-hmm. the director and the writer both know that at any point you're going to think, but wait, she wanted to kill dogs, mm-hmm. even though all of these people objectively are bad. Yeah. You know, they're thieves, they're grifters, they're stealing money from people. But again, this is very like the 70s punk scene. My point is, is that they keep you on on the the original villains side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just keeps going up and up and up and up for sure. But to the time period, like it when when we go to the when she goes to the first party and it's like you said, it was like a um, Marie Antoinette. The cake said, let them eat cake. Yes. um, The way that like it was kind of playing those different time periods back and forth with each other. Yeah. You know, there was like some 50s inspired galas and there were some very super modern for the time 70s fashion. Well, they're making a direct parallel to the rise of Vivian Westwood and the punk movement because that's how like Vivian Westwood started by making clothes for the dude from the sex pistols. Yeah. And that's how her shop sex opens. Like we got a little bit of this backstory on RuPaul's Drag Race UK season one. Remember? Oh yeah. Um, And so like, that's why that's uh, Cruella is effectively Vivian Westwood as a Disney anti-hero. Yeah. That's, that's essentially <laughs> what's happening. There is a headline that I read. We'll put the link in the show notes. If you can get past the fact that Cruella as a film doesn't need to exist, mm-hmm. if you can get past that, which I have, because hi, hi, content. Um, <laughs> it's a great movie. And yeah. I think that that's when we sum up our feelings at the end, I'll get into it more. But yeah, I, I, I did not have any problems watching this twice. No. Basically, they're having this birthday for her. And Jasper pushes over an envelope, which is an employment acceptance letter for the Liberty Department store. Liberty Department store. Which is store. where the Baroness's line is exclusively sold in London. There's this like Spider-Man moment of him coming in and putting in the her application like into the accepted pile. And I just thought that was really cute, but also kind of fanciful. Yeah. Like yeah. there's things that, that happen in this that are not really based in reality there's a degree of of whimsy there's a degree of magical realism to how this plays out so it's it's camp as high art and entertaining film there's some really good craftsmanship in this film there's good cinematography the writing is clever the directing is good that like they're individually there's great craftsmanship in here and i honestly think that people are going to sleep on this because of it, you know, it's a Disney live action remake. Yeah. And to that, like they're in this next scene where we're going through the department store, we go in through where, you know, the customers are and we go through a back door. It then made me understand. The, are you being served so much more? Yeah. Like the concept of seventies English department stores and how they and the ran. Fact that, yeah. And that they were actually making garments and alterations in the store. Some high end places will still do that for, for sure. You. But like, this was more commonplace. Right. Like, right. Right. 
And so, yeah, it was a really cool juxtaposition between that going through the hallway to then getting to her where she's scrubbing bathrooms. And that's the kind of job that she got here, which is um, you got to get your foot in the door. You got to get your foot in the door for sure. But you can tell that she is passionate about it and that she really wants to do the work. Excuse me, sir. I had a thought about the front window. I gave you your job description. Don't go outside the boundaries of your engagement. Please. Not now. Ah, Not now. She makes poor choices, like getting shit-faced drunk and redecorating the window. Point is, the Baroness comes in, sees the window thing, and we get a lot of fun camera work here because... Suddenly, Horace, who's been asking what the grift was or what's the angle, what the angle was the whole time, thinks that this is them pulling off their heist. This was the whole point all along. Yeah. And so he goes into seal mode with Wink, even as all of the kerfuffle is stopping and the Baroness realizes who did the window and he draws more attention to himself. Just like (laughs) you were right. This is a very good show. (laughs) Oh, God, it's all so depressing. One moment. Pointed out that camera shot. Once they're outside, the camera shot from the sidewalk follows them onto the bus and like sits down next to her. Through moving she, traffic. Through moving traffic as she yeah. takes that card out of her mouth. And even the teeth marks are still in the card. Yeah. I and then, that was clever. And then from that shot where she's looking down at the card, cuts to her in that same position back at back at home really and it's just cinematography yeah it's just it's a really good way of conveying changes in space really the first time around it just it it really worked really well and then when i watched it the second time it was like oh yeah these are the reasons why this works so well yes the only real thing that i saw an issue with and you had even pointed it out she gets locked out oh yeah (laughs) there's literally a call box on the wall does it not work I mean, maybe it kind of looked a little bit damaged, but it, like, it looked busted. But yeah, it's the seventies. Is this aesthetic or does it actually non-functioning? Maybe she didn't have that thought. And she was just, look, when I was in my twenties, <laughs> sometimes I was dramatic for dramatic sake. I mean, she's got banana on her face and she knows it's the, how do you not feel that banana chip stuck to your damn face, honey? It's gotta be gross. So I'm part of it is she was probably just like, well, now I'm just want, I want to draw attention to myself. Push the button a couple times to show us it's broken yeah. so that I don't have this thought both times I'm watching this movie. It's foolish. Unhinged. Well, you'll fired. Pasty, pasty, pasty. Hmm. Oh, oh. <gasps> Why are you speaking? I think you've nicked me. This is, yeah, where I was really starting to get those Devil Wears Prada vibes. Yes. Like She was standing up for herself, and I think the Baroness really kind of saw, I mean, she saw herself in her a little bit. This whole film is camp, but no individual, I mean, I feel like there are moments that are camp, but even then, everything's still so grounded. Yeah. Um, because the Baroness could be too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, she literally cut someone with yeah. her knife. Immediately takes a liking to the spitfire that is Estella. Barks out a uh, a lunch order, which again, uh, Devil Wears Prada vibe. Like, yeah, there's that scene where they're in the office and they're talking to those t- uh, department uh, store guys. owners. Yeah. yeah, and she immediately just lays into them about what all of their shady dealings are and, and their whatever. personal secrets and their personal secrets. And it's just like, oh, but you wanted to say something and they just get up and leave. And 
you could see the admiration in Estella's face of like, I want to be her. Your store hasn't been refurbished since the Blitz. People don't know whether to buy a frock or duck and cover, and most of the funds meant for refurbs are being embezzled by you. Stashing them in Swiss bank account number 322-54766, to be precise. That's me. Your turn. I'm all ears. And then, you know, she checks the meal, and, and she's like, finally, someone competent. And then the lawyer busts in, and it's just like, oh. And it's Roger. It's Roger. The way that they play with these characters and the way that like the dynamics are shifting between the admiration to the to the straight up disgust back yeah. and forth is just it's it's handled really well. Yeah. And Estelle is kind of growing into her own. And this is where we meet Artie. Welcome to second time around. I'm Artie or art as in work of. Wow. You look incredible. Oh, I hear that all day. So I guess it's true. How's that look go on the streets? Mm, some abuse and insults, of course, but I like to say that normal is the cruelest insult of them all, and at least I never get that. Ugh, I couldn't agree more. Look around, Cinderella. I have everything a girl or boy could ever want. If you can dream it, I can dress it. Mm. Dior, 1955. Amazing. I mean, there was a lot of hubbub in the early press about Artie being Disney's first openly queer character. And they've used that headline a couple of times before we've already talked about onward on this podcast. I like Artie. I like this. I like how it was done again. It felt very seventies queer punk. Like it felt on a note with everything else and was elevated just enough to fit in, but was still very grounded. I never felt like he was made uh, the butt of the joke. No. And I feel like this was solid queer representation. However, there's still a lot of haze coating here. I feel like this is a movie about an anti-hero and about thieves. You know, they're taking on a, you know, the greater evil, right? But there's a sort of, in a general sense, you're not aspiring to be any of these queer-coded characters. Even the Baroness's little assistant, who is very queer-coded. Jeffrey, I think, maybe? I, it was hard to figure yeah. out which one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Jeffrey. He's the only one on IMDb without a headshot, but I think that's... My point is, is that were this the take even when Glenn Close did it, I feel like there would have been a lot more queerness as the butt of the joke. Whereas here it's it's amplified a bit, but they still like I mean, you know, we're we're made to laugh at the fat guy in the women's clothes multiple times. And I did laugh even on the second viewing. But I I don't think that it was a again, I don't think it was necessarily done for laughs. Yeah, it was it was funny, but also like Clancy when he turns around in a full mug beat with that beehive wig. Yeah, that is for laughs, honey, especially because he still has the beard. If he had been shaved, it wouldn't have twigged for me the second time. Because the other thing about Horace as a character is he takes everything at face value anyway. I don't think that Horace is playing it for laughs, which is perhaps the difference and why I can still laugh at it. Well, and I think he's so earnest. He's only ever in quote unquote women's clothing in moments that if I'm reading the script, it's, oh, that's a joke. You know what I mean? Right. But it's a little bit drag though. I mean, it's don't misunderstand me. I like this. And I think that all of this represents a 
definite step forward in sort of like queer representation from Disney even. When she opened up the shop and he was the one that was there, it didn't feel like they were forcing it on there or making it seem like it was like... And it's never the punchline. Yeah, it's never the punchline. He's... He fucking... He owns this place. This is his His deal. He is in charge of his destiny. Like, he is definitely... And his vision and connections are sought after. I mean, to kind of pull this section all together, when... Estella realizes that the Baroness has her mother's necklace. Yes. And you're seeing that switch flip. Family heirloom. Funny story, actually. An employee once stole it. No, she did not. Sorry. Slight tone delivery problem. I meant. No, she did not. Did she work for you? Mm, once, years before. There's a rage that's building behind her. Like you can you can feel that. But yet she has this very steeled exterior and still trying to get as much information that she possibly can without letting her know that she knows what that is. But also Jasper's switch flips early here too. Yeah. Um, and she says early on, Jasper, always the analytical one. He's realizing here that this is no longer grift. This is now personal. And when it becomes personal is when it gets things, messy. Things change. It gets messy. And yep. it's like the first time they're starting to raise those stakes mm-hmm. for both Estella and the Baroness. Yeah. Estella, under the guise of Cruella and wearing her natural hair color, crashes one of the Baroness's parties to steal the necklace. When the Baroness uses a whistle to command her donations, Estella realizes that she used the same whistle to direct her dogs to murder her mother, Catherine. Seeking revenge for her mother's death, Estella taunts the Baroness by appearing at her gatherings and upstaging her as Cruella in flamboyant outfits designed with the help of a vintage clothing store owner named Arnie. Her antics gain publicity through her childhood friend Anita, a gossip columnist. Cruella's haughty and arrogant behavior increasingly angers Jasper and Horace, as well as the Baroness, who fires her lawyer Roger for failing to stop Cruella. Estella also kidnaps the Baroness's Dalmatians after one of them accidentally swallows her mother's necklace. She called my mom a thief. Said she failed as a mother. What? Your mom? She knew your actual mom? It turns out that was her party we were at. Mom worked for her once. I dropped the necklace as I was running away. She must have found it. It's mine. So I'm taking it back. Taking it as in? Stealing it. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the angle. This is where it switches back to being a heist movie. Yeah. It's no longer a fashion career movie. Now it's a heist movie. Again. Right. And like her casing the joint, like there's that one point when she's in the office and she sees the the lock being or the security being disabled. Yes. And that little lean back that she does. Mm-hmm. That was just so, again, well framed again. And when she gets caught looking in the security camera room and uh, <laughs> starts asking to speak French to that, she guy. asks what I can assume is the only one of two things she knows how to say in, <laughs> in French. French is where's the bathroom. Yeah. And then that guy just starts flirting with her in French. I don't know what he says. And the subtitles were no help at all. Yeah, I completely agree. This is this is definitely like when we turn into like an Ocean's Eleven style yeah. heist of this necklace so the plan is effectively to upstage the baroness at her gala yep. to cause a distraction so that they can boost the necklace out of the safe yeah and in the previous montage we saw horace fucking around with something on fire 
And now we learn he was effectively making Cruella a a flash paper cloak. Is it flash paper? Is it a special cloth? Because, oh, Lord, when she lights that on fire, she really do make an entrance. Do you have a light? This is what you saw in the trailers. Like, yeah. So kind of, I knew this scene was going to happen and I was kind of surprised that it was happening so soon because I thought this was later in the movie. Again, they raised the stakes. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Arguably, this is a better distraction than the final one, but I get why the final one is what it is. Yeah, for sure. Horace is, he's in like an exterminator outfit with uh, Wink dressed as a rat. Yes. And these are some of my favorite scenes. Look. Oh, oh, look at that one. No, get out of my way. So, discuss amongst yourselves who that is. Hmm? Here we are. Oh, no, 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 no. Take a loss, take a loss, take a loss. You hideous freak. I didn't mean that way. It is so good. As they go around scaring all these big, beefy, burly men. I I did put a note here about the music again. So like uh, there's a a Led Zeppelin cover and uh, it's actually performed by Ike and Tina Turner. Yeah. And Ike and Tina had two covers that were featured in this movie. The fact that those were chosen is kind of. Yeah. These would have been popular songs of the time too. But it's also one of those like subversive, you scratch a little bit more and you're like, oh wait. There's there's yeah. a conscious choice there's, that was made here. That's yeah. what I mean about detail and, and yeah. the, the, that degree of thought. Because this movie could have had a completely different soundtrack that would have been just fine. But without that additional layer of, okay, well this fits because. Mm-hmm. It's just, again, there's a lot of really well done craftsmanship in this film that I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, there really is. Um, I love that she kicks ass with ease in this scene. Like there's, mm-hmm. she's not superhuman. It's not like she's had any kind of training. She's just taking advantage of a class expectation in the room that yeah. a tiny little lady is going to be easily subdued by men who will exercise a degree of caution because she's a tiny little lady. But she's got that cane that she's literally whipping these guys to shit. Like, right. But it, my point out. is, is it's not, it doesn't look lifted from a Marvel movie or right. from that GI Joe prequel that we're about to get. Oof. It, she looks like, Oh God. And there's so much about her physicality. Cause Emma stone is not, uh, she's not a wiry willowy woman. Like Cruella mm-hmm. is, you know, the, the original drawing of Cruella is all angles. Glenn close is all angles in that movie. Yeah. Um, Emma stone as a person is not all angles. She's just an average sized person, but there's something about how she's, hunching over and popping out her shoulder blades and her makeup's done so that those cheekbones are nice and sharp. So she, it, I don't, it looks like, like a karate fighting bug, like stick bug <laughs> almost the way that she's whipping around, but none it, of it seems like this seems like basic self-defense. Yeah. And then once she gets to the Baroness and that conversation between them where the Baroness is intrigued by this Corella coming yes. into her party, somebody that is literally challenging her at the one thing that she's always been feared. Uh, like everybody's always feared the Baroness yes. for getting kicked out of a party. I've discovered she likes to throw women who offend her sensibilities out of her parties. Old women, oh, women you. in gold. Oh, oh. 
Sad women. Women who carry poodles. But also stunningly dressed women who pull the focus off of her. It, all of these security guards full bodying these women that are getting ejected from this party. And presumably that's what the Baroness is going to trigger. And that's where, where the stakes get raised a bit. Cause she blows that whistle mm -hmm. to send her again. These have to be new Dalmatians. We paused for a minute to talk about this. If these were the same Dalmatians, they would be old and crickety. They might be mean, but they wouldn't be this agile. Yeah. We, we went into a Wikipedia hole on Dalmatians for a minute to figure out specifically what the lifespan of Dalmatians are and, and you know, what challenges well, they and might then have. You challenged me. Well, what about wink and buddy? Yeah. And I said, no, no, smaller breed dogs live for longer. They and we do. asked our robot lady and she said that chihuahuas live on average 18 years, which is holy. So shit. that little one eyed rat dog is still in the prime of his life. <laughs> yes. Never mind that terrier, which might be getting on a bit. You know what I mean? But, uh, but they're, but they're not doing big, like, jumping and running and, and being really aggressive. No, and the white with the scene where the winks uh, jumping up the stairs yeah. in this. And he, he looks like, yeah, those little <laughs> back, back and forth can, cantilevered hops. Point is, uh, I love these ding dang doggies. Yeah. Cruella realizes in this moment, Cruella Stella that she didn't kill her mother because the Baroness blows on that dog whistle to send those Dalmatians off. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cruella realizes that while the dogs may have been chasing her out there, they were called beyond her using this dog whistle. And upon the second viewing, when we watched that scene the first time, you could hear the dog whistle under the song that was playing yes. there. But the first time we watched it, you, you don't, don't realize it. that it's not just a, a note in the song. That dog, stop, Hard to clock. So they raise the stakes here, right? Yeah. Um, yeah this is one of the, another one of those points where it just jumps up. Yes. And now that is making it even more, more personal. personal. Yeah. She's now taking on that different, that Corella personality. Yes. And is not, it's not. She's going method. Yeah. She's going method now. Well, even I just want to say on their escape, she nails the driving pose. Oh, yeah. Like that's another thing about oh, her yeah. posture and physicality. Like it's that hunched over <laughs> praying mantis arms on the steering wheel. Um, reckless driving with the wild hair. Emma Stone fucking nails it. Well, here's hoping there's a plan C. Why, what's plan C? So what, what I'm saying is, is there a plan C? Get it. This is where like, you know, Cruella's hatching her plan and where she pulls Anita in. and like, you know, she makes very clear to Anita that she's just useful. Yeah. And AI love Anita styling the whole look of Kirby Hal Baptiste in this film. always on point We're I don't know if we're meant to think that Anita is not fashionable, but she looks fucking amazing yeah. throughout. 
we get those really cool 3D effects of Anita's stories as these scenes happen. Yeah. I don't I don't think we're ever explicitly told that Anita gets any benefit from this. Like Artie clearly does. He's getting work, right? Yeah. And Anita's getting content to a degree, but it's not like, you know, at the end of the movie, Anita's writing for her own paper or anything. No. I would like her to see some benefit out of it. But I think that's, and, and we'll probably get to it at the end, but I feel like they are setting them up for sequels well for sure i think that that's that's as clear as anything you know what would be really interesting to see is the parallel between the baroness building her fashion empire and and corella starting her fashion empire over from where the baroness was and having and and getting to a point to where she has to make um big decisions that are either her her being herself or her becoming the sort of monster that her mother yeah, was becoming the Ooh. Baroness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Estella sabotages the Baroness's spring collection show and stages her own show in Regent's Park. Having deduced that Estella and Cruella are one of the same. The Baroness has Jesper and Horace arrested and ties up Estella, leaving her to die in a fire. Estella <laughs> is rescued by the Baroness's valet, John, who reveals the necklace is a key to a box containing Estella's birth records. She discovers that the Baroness is her biological mother who ordered John to have the infant Estella killed so she could focus solely on her career. John instead gave the baby to Catherine, one of the Baroness's maids, who raised Estella in secret. Estella is angered by Catherine's deception, but eventually makes peace with the truth in an effort to complete her vengeance, adopting the name Cruella for good. The the valet John and his character. Yes, Mark Um, Strong. Yeah. Merlin from the Kingsman. Exactly. His, the subtle things that he's doing in the movie. And again, the second time watching this, um, which it was I almost rec- like watching a mystery show and knowing the answer and going, Oh, now you're seeing like the little things that he was doing. Like it's, it's really cool to see his character and is essentially kind of the, the only good thing that is around, uh, the Baroness. Truly. Yes. And the sabotaging of the spring collection is pretty great. I I was stunned by the revelation that those were all moth cocoons. And like Cruella knows how to manipulate the Baroness, not just in how she's gotten, you know, case in the joint and understanding her Mm -hmm. schedules and everything, but would know that the Baroness would spy on her to see what she, what was being kept from her. Right. Mm. Oh, Estella, I'm surprised at you holding out on me. But I was on my lunch break. In a public space. Yes, I own the alley. Really? You can own alleys? Alleys, designs, people, their souls. Check your employment contract. Well, and, and honestly, this is kind of like I was thinking about Steve Jobs during these kind of things and the parallels that I have between the Baroness and Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs Or Thomas Edison, even. Well, Steve Jobs would take credit and would be the creator of a lot of the things that Apple would put out. Yes. But all of this is Cruella manipulating the Baroness. Yeah. The dress that Estella makes is it's the key piece of the spring collection. And then they stage that robbery. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and again, this is that sort of fantasy portion. It's like, yeah, there's no way they went up those ropes. I've no, but they did. As Cruella is continually upstaging the Baroness. I love that. This is essentially a montage of the status quo being upended. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like they're not, they're not uh, subtle with it. No, the first look she pulls at the next gala is literally the future written on her face. Yeah, and and, and again when she puts that moth dress with those, like that was a beautiful dress. Like I want to see, like Disney's probably got that somewhere, it, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I believe that it was probably actually hand beaded. Um, the Baroness takes uh Estella to to 
lunch or dinner. And the waiter's like sitting there trying to open the Struggling this with the champagne. Give it to me. It's sick. Go. Here's to me. <laughs> and just shoots the waiter in the eye. Right. <laughs> it was just like, I'm like, oh. That poor guy. That sucks because you know that he knows who she is. Right. And he's just terrified of any, like, fucking anything up. Another one of those situations where they're raising the Baroness stakes. Like, we're getting to a, a will she, won't she about whether or not Cruella is going to kill this woman. Yeah. And just as we're going, well, wait, maybe I shouldn't be rooting for Cruella. Her nemesis shoot somebody in the eye with a champagne cork. And we're like, yeah. yep. Okay. Nope. Yeah. I'm still that on her side. Completely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That yeah, is yeah, why yeah. I am here. Just that, that whole turn was such a, such a good gotcha moment and know. a beautiful effect. I love that. She's not flapped by the moths themselves. It's not until she sees that it was all intentional mm -hmm. and her suspicions of Cruella Estella are effectively confirmed. Yeah. You know, because that was the central dress and that's the dress where the moths came from. Um, and there's that really gross shot of the one moth coming out of the cocoon. We go over to the to the the rogue punk fashion show that's happening in the fountain. Very Vivian Westwood. Very right Vivian there West. at her mother's fountain. That's the Regent's Park fountain. They had made it a point before um, to show Jasper like when they were doing the birthday. They was playing the guitar. Yes. And stuff like that. So like when Jasper's out there playing the guitar, it didn't seem out of place. Like, Precisely. It was like it's not that like, oh, how does he know how to play an instrument? And of like course, this? Artie like, is, is a punk singer. Look at him. Right. Look at him. <laughs> Uh, uh, he probably got a band on top of running his little clothing shop. I hope so. And you, they, they have a, between them have a bunch of freaky friends with weirdo hairstyles who are more than happy to be models on in this fucking pop up like a flash mob. A flash mob. Yes, that's a fact. This is a, a pop up flash mob fashion show. Yeah. Cruella! gives voice to the idea that Cruella killed her dogs, even though we we know she just said it was a joke. They let it for maybe about 45 seconds. They let the audience believe that maybe that's what right. happened. Horace turns with that bright orange fucking sprayed head yeah. and shows his face to the Baroness and she's seen him before delivering the moth larva. Yeah. And so she puts it all together and as Cruella's coming back, she's got them captured and tied up and mm -hmm. there's the, the, you know, the, we're at the end of that too. So we're going to put Cruella at her worst. Ooh. Goodbye, Cruella. Dogs. Bad dog, Genghis. I'll tip off the press. I'd love them to know that you went out in a um, blaze of glory. John sort of plays his hand and he picks the necklace up off the floor. Apparently one of the dogs finally shit it out. <laughs> um, but the only problem that I had with all of this, and again, it's stakes raising again. It's like, not only did she kill your mother, she actually is your mother. Right. <laughs> and here are the papers to prove it that are in this necklace. That's been the MacGuffin. And you know, as John lays this all out for her, I just wish 
I wish this were something that Cruella were given the opportunity to discover rather than having to be. She sat down and he's like, oh, this is a key. And then she pulls out the birth certificate and is like, wait. And he's like, okay, well, let me break it down like a fraction for you. And then we go through a, a flashback of, yeah. of what happened. The Baron was a sweet old guy. The Baroness, on the other hand, she's a true narcissist. So when she found out she was pregnant. I'm pregnant. She wasn't exactly thrilled. John telling her it's a key, great. But if they had already like lifted the box, right. and maybe she had seen the box and wondered how to get it open and they couldn't pick the lock. That would have been better. Yes, this box just comes out of nowhere. Where has this box been? With John. And so you needed John to explain everything to give it to right. her. But what was his plan prior to that? If he knew that Catherine had already been pushed over a cliff, you know what I mean? Like this was the solution based yeah. on where they're at. I wish it had been a different solution. Because that's why he makes the turn. It's just never as his own shift would have been a clearer in terms of motivation. Yeah. And B, I feel like it would have been a bigger, not bigger, but maybe a more ambitious way to raise the stakes again. Yeah, for sure. So she, uh, she finds us out. She then goes on a really moody moped ride. <laughs> um, and apparently she knows how to ride a moped. Which I was like, oh, for someone that doesn't know how to drive, she just hops on a moped. But yeah, and then she goes back to the fountain that her and her mother were originally going to go to. And they have this really good scene of her coming to that realization that her mother, yes, lied to her. But at the same time. When I tried. I really, I tried because I loved you. But the thing is, I'm not sweet, Estella. But then ends it with, I still love you. It's the acceptance part. Yeah, it was really nice. I teared up a little bit in the theater. Same. I feel like on some level, what we're being told is that Estella was something that she was holding on to out of grief because she felt like she needed to be something very specific that her dead mother told her to be. And regardless of who her birth mother is, yeah, this isn't who Estella Cruella mm. actually is. Yeah. And so much of that identity is sunk into the guilt over her mother's death, mm -hmm. which is why I think the sort of act three payoff is as much of a home run as it is. It's much more poignant. Yeah. yeah. Because mm -hmm. she is effectively saying I was, I was being another person for you. This is who I really am. Mm -hmm. She's just clever and cunning and out to get hers. And punk rock. And but she's fucking punk. Yeah. Cruella breaks Jasper and Horace out of jail, recruiting them and Artie for her final scheme. They sneak into the Baroness's charity gala where Cruella, dressed as Estella, reveals to the Baroness that she is her abandoned daughter. The Baroness pretends to accept Cruella and expresses remorse for her actions and asks to hug her before pushing her over a cliff, unaware <laughs> her guests had been led outside and witnessed the event. Cruella survives the fall using a parachute built into her clothing and discards her El Estella disguise before returning to witness the Baroness being arrested. The Baroness swears revenge as she is taken into custody. Having adopted the last name DeVille, inspired by her stolen car, she acquires Hellman Hall, shortening it to Hell Hall, having secretly transferred the Baroness's fortune to herself by using Estella's name. 
The breakout scene is phenomenal top to bottom. Yes, it's a, a fun drag king moment. Yeah, just rams that that garbage truck into the front of that precinct. One of the things that really struck me in all of these as the like headlines are going through and all of these montage scenes, one of them said, you know, where is Cruella going to strike next? And I was like, I don't know, maybe any red carpet the Baroness is at. That seems to be the trend. Uh, pretty much. Yeah, Jeez. <laughs> police baffled. Really? Are they not going to any red carpet? Who are these fucking police? Jesus. But anyway. Yeah. These fucking police get their their office rammed into by this truck, and the dogs spring to the rescue again. So they end up hatching this plan to infiltrate her big gala. Yeah, finally overthrow her once and for all. And Jasper's concerned that Cruella wants to kill the Baroness. Yes, which, I mean, I would be. I mean, she's tried to murder her yeah, twice. No, his, his concern is valid, for sure. Yeah. They get the sizes and addresses of all of the guests at this gala, mm-hmm. and they design this outfit at, that is effectively mass-produced for the guest list mm-hmm. that looks just like Cruella. The first few people that arrived, though, got tackled as they're getting out of their cars. As an amazing callback (laughs) to Cruella saying, you know, this is how she ejects women from her parties. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. (laughs) Each of these women, as they're getting out of their cars, gets fucking body tackled (laughs) by by a security guy. All right, boys, look alert. First vehicle arriving. One, it's her. Oh, I beg your pardon. It's not her. Here she is, Kia. It's not her. But yeah, essentially, uh, uh, Baroness comes down and then just sees a sea of Cruella. And essentially has like gives a toast to her demise. It goes back to the point we were making earlier about Cruella's ability to manipulate the Baroness through understanding how much of a narcissist she is. Essentially, yeah. the Baroness knows that that Cruella slash Estella is still alive because her body was never found. Her charred remains were never found. Right. It's this delightful line where he defends not having killed her. When I said all those years ago, take care of it. What did you think I meant? Well, I was a little confused. I hardly thought you meant you wanted me to kill your only child. And I thought we knew each other. Very lovely. But this is where she amps up her evil by arbitrarily tasing her staff. She tases the one security guy. Well, she sprays the one guy in the face with a perfume first for talk for, you know, talking for failing for failing for not being able to find Cruella. The other guy says, oh, yeah, you know, if I see them, I've got this taser and she tests it on him. And then on like the housekeeper that walks by. Yeah. That moment I was like, she needs to die. And again, <laughs> like they're reinforcing why you should be on Cruella's side here. Yeah. And Emma Thompson just plays it so fucking well. And then like once they got there, Horace, like when we, we've alluded to this before, was in full on drag. Yes. So Horace infiltrates the same way uh, that Cruella does by dressing just like the rest of the women. If he had shaved his beard, if he had fully committed to the ruse, I feel like it would have come off a little less tropey as a joke. I mean, we definitely know drag queens that have beards, so that's not it. A- but he wasn't doing a bearded queen look. That's not what that was. Yeah. The joke was that this 
masculine presenting fat man with a beard had on lipstick, eyeshadow, and a wig. That was the joke. Yeah. And yes, I laughed, but it could have been better. It could have been a better executed joke. Because again, if he had fully committed yeah. to the bit, because that's his whole thing is fully committing to the bit, it would have been that much funnier. If he had fully shaved, if he had eyelashes on, I think it would have been funnier and I would have questioned my laughter less. A dog is like a son to me. You're dead. I hate him. Did you though? Cruella, who is again at the party. John's on their side, as we said. Yeah, John John has given Jasper the radio and have locked all of their guards in a room. Yeah, they're fully manipulating the whole operation. Yeah, no, it, it's a well-oiled machine. Cruella in the in the matchy matchy shenanigans yeah. manages to brush right by the Baroness. And we all wonder, is she about to she pulls out that hairpin? Yeah, I thought maybe the hairpin had like poison or something on it. It's like, is she about to kill this bitch? You wonder if she's about to stab the baroness with it and she does but it's like it's a distraction it's a distraction it's the sleight of hand it's um misdirection she's here i can feel it find her in order to draw her attention away from where she has that dog whistle in her cuff. Yeah, and then why they couldn't have just bought another dog whistle? Maybe it's a specific whistle that they're trained with. Maybe it's like a certain frequency or whatever. At this point, now she goes and uh, she turns back into her Estella getup, goes outside, and then uh, blows I, on that and dog then blows whistle. on the whistle. The Baroness holding the dogs is pretending like nothing is wrong as these dogs are just dragging yeah. her through the party, literally to the last minute. And even as she's pulling the dogs towards her, she's acting like it's all her idea, right? That's that. And then we get the scene of them outside and that, yeah, she's going to push her. The Baroness releases the Dalmatians to, to listen to the whistle. And as they approach, she orders them to sit and they listen. Now, look, if they spent all of this time with those Dalmatians retraining them with more positive reinforcement, mm -hmm. more compassion, they absolutely will turn on previous masters. Oh, yeah. So the Baroness comes in for a fake hug and pushes Corella off of the cliff. Yep. Um, while well, Estella, but Est yes. Estella. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's important though. Um, but because Estella and what she means is dying. Yeah, exactly. In the meantime, uh, Horace, Jasper and, and John have brought everyone out to the terrace. Yep. And see all of this happen. You're not going to push me off the cliff. Are you? So funny. I love it. Idiot. <gasps> There's no way she's getting out of this. Which, and that's why, like, uh, narcissism is the villain all along when she she flips around just like when she killed Catherine at the beginning yeah. it was all lies and gaslighting and when she sees that her audience isn't hanging on her every word she tries to just repeat the lie repeat the lie believe the lie because I'm repeating it so it was, it's just like peak narcissistic implosion here it's <laughs> camp and high art 
at the same time because it's Emma Thompson literally chewing your face off with her impotent rage. And I love it. Estella gets pushed off and and is effectively in everybody's eyes dead, right? The good thing about evil people is you can always trust them to do something. Well, evil. Estella would die like her mother did, but not quite. A well-cut skirt is a lifesaver, girls. Remember that. She pulls a cord and it becomes a a parachute and she glides onto (laughs) a little dinghy. And effectively, yes, that's the last time anybody sees the auburn-haired goth artiste Estella. Yeah. It really, that effect, though, was the only one that really took me out of the movie. They thought that the storm effects would mask a lot of the CG that they were doing, it and didn't. they didn't. It wasn't. No. Great. In Estella's will, she bequeathed everything. To her friend Cruella DeVille. Yeah. But, of course, Estella didn't have a fortune. Yeah. But then... Once she was murdered, she did because of this birth certificate. Yeah. So, I, I mean, they skipped a couple probate steps and it makes me wonder if Roger handled any of it. Oh, I wonder. But yeah, she's now uh, the rightful heir. Truly Cruella Westwood. I mean, <laughs> Vivian DeVille. I mean, she breaks the the man out of Hellman Hall. Oh, that's right. And it becomes yeah. Hell Hall and John is still there and her and the boys move in. Yeah. The three Dalmatians are still alive and still there. And Genghis is looking a little tubby yeah. because Genghis is a female and is preggers. Yes. That's the answer. And then I missed the closing credits when I, when we were in the theater, cause I had to go pee. Yeah. Um, they struck me as very James Bond, especially when you've got Florence and the machine. All of these different tableaus, very high art, you know, punk, nouveau. It's very James Bond. Yeah. In the mid-credit scene, Cruella delivers two Dalmatian puppies, children of one of Baroness's Dalmatians, named Pongo and Perdita, to Roger and Anita, respectively. Now working as a songwriter, Roger begins composing the song Cruella de Vil. Cruella de Vil. that was Cruella. That was Cruella. As we said at the top, we went to the movies masked uh, and saw this masked and distanced. Yep. Um, It was a delight on the big screen. Honestly. Yeah. And we, we just, we went to the Alamo draft house. We don't have to tell the whole story. I know, but I just like to say that the seats there are really great. And that if you're an Austin, (laughs) that's a movie theater should go to. Uh, Anyways, it was delightful. Um, this movie, the budget for it was a uh, hundred to two hundred million. Yeah, again, unless they publish it somewhere, it's hard to say. Yeah, it'll probably come out later once they actually push out numbers. Yeah, um, but uh, at least for now, what we know from Box Office Mojo is what it made, uh, which was twenty one point five million dollars in its opening weekend and forty four point seven million dollars worldwide as of this recording. So, like on paper. That's a loss. That's a flop and would have been considered so, you know, as early as two years ago. Yeah. Between both the pandemic in general and them splitting their own audience, what these numbers don't tell us, what Box Office Mojo can't know, is how many people like us paid the $30 for Premiere Access. Right. And Disney 
doesn't have to release that. They're not actually, you know what? Earnings probably. At the It'll end of the probably year. be earnings and they'll be like, Hey, okay. So we did this experiment. This is what it ended up turning out like. And yeah, so they made a lot of money and yeah. that's probably what the story is going to be on rotten tomatoes. The critical reception was considerably harsher than the audience. Critics said 74%. And I just pulled two good ones. Cause I didn't agree with the bad ones. <laughs> See, I said while we were talking about this, I think it was the, the verge headline. The people who reviewed this film negatively couldn't get over the fact that it didn't need to exist. Yeah. I skimmed a few reviews. Um, the Atlantic one is its summary is like, well, she needed to be more, more sort of like rebellious, like wickedly evil. I miss that Cruella. And I'm like, you wanted to see a movie where the anti-hero really wanted to kill dogs. Like that's effectively her thesis. Um, but God love you. No. Um, so anyway, Kane Austin Collins from Rolling Stone said talky and relatively quick on its feet, ably cast with great supporting actors, Mark Strong among them, and of course, a few cute dogs. And then Christy Puchko from IGN says, swaying between outlandish and expected, the movie ultimately feels like a clumsy compromise. Still, with grimy whimsy, crackling leading ladies, imaginative twists, and plenty of eye-popping spectacle, Cruella is a hell of a good time. Yeah, yeah. I like, agree. I, it could be shorter. Things could be tighter. But for what? And again, it's a PG-13 movie. Yeah. For what it is, I, I feel like. And you know what? I said this at the top. I said, I think there's a lot of good craftsmanship in this movie, but people aren't going to be able to get over themselves. Mm -hmm. And these were the best reviews that I could pull from Rotten Yeah, Tomatoes. from Rolling Stone and IGN. Right. <laughs> So there you go. But anyway, what's the viewers like Clancy? The viewers are considerably better. It's 97% uh, li like it. Russell H gave it four stars. Uh, he said the most non Disney Disney movie I've ever seen. Amazing from non Disney music throughout in a dark origin story. Yes. Which I kind of agree with. I when I had to go check the rating cause I didn't, I didn't realize that it was PG 13 when we went into it. I thought it was probably going to be PG but no, not with all that, uh, even just that light physical violence and I mean, death. Janine G uh, gave it five stars. Uh, and this was uh, 13 minutes ago. She said yeah, that both of these are hot <laughs> off the presses. Yes. I literally just pulled these. <laughs> uh, she said she loved this movie. Great storyline, action, funny and great music. Fun for the whole family. Now, the reason I pulled these specifically, I didn't even notice the time until just now. They were both verified. So they bought their tickets through Rotten Tomatoes. Ah, so I thought that's a valuable yeah, for sure. I didn't realize that they did that. That's I really didn't cool. either. I bet you get like points or something if you go back and review. No, but but it's just like the verified Amazon reviews. I don't need some couch potato telling me what the movie's like. Precisely. We've got a few bits of trivia. Yeah, uh, we've got some Easter eggs and some callbacks. Uh, Horace uh, talks about dog owners looking like their dogs. And there's also a suit of armor in Hell Hall. It's exactly placed. Uh, I think it's at the end as it is in the cartoon. Oh, yeah. So like yeah, there's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of visual callbacks. Those are two that I saw called out a couple of times. Yeah. Um, Glenn Close is actually an executive producer on this. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Until I was That's super cool. Yeah. This this is great. There were multiple actresses considered for the role of the Baroness. Yeah. Not just Emma Thompson, but also Nicole Kidman, Charlize Theron, Julianne Moore and Demi Moore. Wow. That it, like think about each of those. <laughs> And how it would have been a little bit different. I don't think any of them could have had the sort of diabolical gravitas that Emma Thompson really brought to the role. No, I, Demi Moore. That would be that would be interesting. It would be. It, she'd. It'd be like the villain that she played in Charlie's Angels too. Like it'd yeah. be. You know, I could see Charlize Theron doing it though. I think. But I, where I'd get too much of her like evil queen vibes from the Snow White. Thing, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. 
The uh, the film that's seen on the TV while Corella is in the hotel room is Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat from yes. 1944. Yes. Uh, it's the scene where actress Tallulah Bankhead, who was the real life inspiration for Corella DeVille. But as good as things were, I felt I was meant for more in this life, that my mom would have wanted more for me. I just didn't know what. Yeah, she's like cackling. Oh, yeah. And it yeah, sounds yeah. like Cruella's laugh. So, like, the directors directed voice actress Betty Lou Gerson mm-hmm. to emulate Tallulah Bankhead That's in Lifeboat cool. for Cruella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's kind of like in um, Birds of Prey when there's the Days of Our Lives on the TV that was yes. the original inspiration for Harley Quinn. So, it's, it's one of those That's fun cool. little Easter eggy kinds of gags. Um, costume designer Jenny Beaven, uh, who the director hired after seeing her word on Mac. She's the designer from Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. She created 277 costumes Holy for the principal fuck. cast. That is a lot. Including 47 just for Cruella. Oh, shit. And then Gizmo, who plays Buddy, her little dog, also was in Beauty and the Beast, the live action oh, movie. Gizmo! so cute. Gizmo! Yes. Ugh. Cruella. I honestly, I enjoyed it. I didn't expect to. I didn't either. I honestly was kind of going into it. It was like, ah, the beauty and the beast live action. I was okay with it. It was fine. But again, this isn't exactly the same thing because that that was a live action adaptation of the cartoon. And this is again, a retelling a fractured fairy tale. It's like Maleficent. Yeah. No, this is no more a live action. 101 Dalmatians. This is effectively a a reboot of the entire right. 101 Dalmatians franchise, which I'm, on board for they can coexist yeah i want to see another film in this universe exactly um there there was and we we talked about this over and over and apparently slate agreed with us but there oh yeah the devil wears prada vibes there is so many parallels yeah we'll link this too. the slate does a whole breakdown of the direct parallels from like bald assistance to the evil overbearing fashion goddess uh, to, to even the friends and the and the boyfriend yeah. being, you know, the, the the Jasper and them. It's 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 a really really good. It's funny, kind of like comparison. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend checking it out. That is in our show notes, so uh, please do that. Yeah. Also, you should check out patreoncom slash mischief for yes. any and all bonus content across from across the Mischief Media Network. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got multiple backer levels, patron levels there. You can come join us on the Discord and chit chat and uh, get, like I said, bonus content. We usually do. We've only done short audio episodes, yeah. um, but there's uh, I think there's a couple of videos in there. There's definitely some prose, some like written work. Frankie's done some stuff for roll nine and three quarters. That's art. Like there's a whole bunch of jazz in there. Um, fun bonus content. You can help support the network yeah. uh, in, a, in a meaningful way and get a whole bunch of content. Yeah, there's a lot your dollar value and again that's at patreon.com slash making mischief uh if they wanted to find us or find like you and i on social media where would they do that josh well um on twitter they could find me at josh watching tv without the g and you at clncy without the a where could they find us on instagram clancy well they could find us on instagram at josh watching tv without the g and clncy without the a without the a on that Instagram, as I said before. And then they could also find the show at non plus pod on Twitter. Yes. Where could they find it on Instagram? Uh, Also non plus pod. Yes. Um, I think Facebook is non plus pod as well. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And then you could email us at suggestions at non plus pod.com. Yeah. (laughs) Which you could just do that. So there it is. Also you could rate and review (laughs) 
on your podcasting platform of preference. We love that. Help us boost that algorithm. Yes, yes, um, please. And that's, uh, I think that's pretty much it, right? Well, that over there is my husband, Josh. And that over there is my husband, Clancy. And we're nonplussed. And we are nonplussed. Yes, we are nonplussed. nonplussed. You may not like us, but we can't be fussed. We're just two gay guys bitching about some films. We're nonplussed. We're nonplussed. Bilms. Bilms. Bye. Don't forget to check out Tavor on iOS and Android for your 100% independent resource for tasty and tantalizing craft brews. Just search Tavor, that's T-A-V-O-U-R, in your app store search to get $10 off your first order of $25 or more. Cheers. Bye. Bye.